Uh, you guys shared. I can do this while I'm moving things. You guys shared something that you love. Now I want you guys to share who's someone that loves you. Anybody, shout it out. Who's somebody that loves you? Jesus loves you. God. Who else loves you? You love your dad and your mommy? That's awesome. Do they love you? They do? That's awesome. Yeah? Who loves you? God loves you. Yes, he does. Who else? Anybody else? Who loves you? Your family loves you? Awesome. Your mom loves you? What about your dad? Yeah, okay. Whew. Good, I got the nod. I was about to have to step down. Uh, I love that. Yeah, that's amazing. Lord willing, each and every one of you have somebody that you can say, yes, they love me. And that might sound a little bit strange. Sometimes we don't ask that question. Sometimes we ask more the question of who do you love or what do you love? But I think it's important that we ask this question of who loves me? Now the next question, how do you know that they love you? How do you know that these people that you shouted out how do you know that they love you? Because what? I love that because God makes them love us in their heart. I love that. Great. What else? How do you know that somebody loves you? Acts of service. Acts of kindness. What else? How do you know somebody loves you? Because what? Because they care for you? Good. Hey, amen. They put up with you. Anything else? Anything else jump out to you? How do you know somebody loves you? They pray for you. They forgive you? Amen. Hopefully they tell you at some point in time. As we start to talk about love this morning, we have to remember that, that love is not just a feeling. In fact, in the West, we have, we have probably romanticized love in a way that may not be super helpful in us really understanding what love is when it comes to the New Testament and what God's view of what love is. Love is not void of emotion or feeling, but love is first a choice. In the New Testament, love refers to a way of treating people that was defined by Jesus himself in which you seek the well-being of others regardless of their response. Seeking the well-being of others regardless of their response. It's more than a feeling. It's a choice surrounded by action and by lots of action. So far in our Advent series, we've looked at hope, we've looked at peace, and we've looked at joy. 
and how Jesus is our hope in this life and life to come, how Jesus has brought us peace with God through his life, death, and resurrection, that shalom is now here, it's present, and it is growing and will continue to grow until it fills the earth. And he's brought us joy right here in the midst. He is the joy of our salvation. But without love, we would have none of these. You see, love is the glue. It's the impetus that holds it all together. Without love, we can't truly have joy. Without love, we can't have peace. Without love, we can't have hope. Love is the centerpiece. I don't know if you've ever thought of the greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says that all of the law and the prophets, all of God's word is summed up in that. And have you ever wondered why that would be? How is it that, that this semi-simple command sums up all of this? Because at its core, when you do this, you are living as God has designed you to be. Because as we learn in 1 John 4, 8, God is love. And in Genesis 1, we are told that we are made in whose image, in whose likeness? Whose is it? God, right? We can respond. We're made in God's image. And the reason the greatest commandment is love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself is because love is the core identity of who God is and why he does what he does. And so when love is the thing that controls and compels us, the will of God is fulfilled. But love is not just a feeling, it is action. God is loved, and he just doesn't say it. He demonstrates it. I don't know um, anybody, I don't know what your getting off the phone pattern is. Uh, some people grew up in homes where they heard love very frequently. Uh, some people general, maybe grew up in homes with it where they heard the word love all the time. Like for me, I say, what's your get off the phone pattern? Because sometimes my default to get off the phone is like, okay, love you, bye. Like it's like a, it's a quick statement that just fits at the end of everything. And I've said I love you to a number of people that I barely even know um, as I'm getting off the phone. But sometimes we can throw the word around too loosely, and it's important that we do use the word. But sometimes the problem, especially within our culture, is we say many words, but often they aren't backed up with action. And so sometimes if you use a word over and over and over long enough that's not backed up with action, what happens to that word? Stops meaning anything. It's like when somebody keeps telling you sorry for the same thing that they've done for the last 15 years. This is why love is more than a word. It's more than a feeling. It's an action. And praise God that God didn't just declare that he loves us, right? He didn't just proclaim I love you. 
He demonstrated it. I love the verses that were shared already so far. That verse in Jeremiah about his everlasting love. Romans 5, 8 that Hannah mentioned is one of my favorite verses in all scripture. But God did what? Did he declare his love? Did he proclaim his love? He demonstrated his own love. And this isn't new with Jesus. We are birthed in love from creation moving forward. We are sustained. Every breath that we take is a gift. It is the the air that we breathe is a gracious, loving gift from God. And the love of God has been seen all throughout Scripture, but it does come to a cataclysmic climax in the person of Jesus. God is love, and he's proved it, not just by saying that he loves us, but by showing us that he loved us. And this is what we remember during Christmas time: is that love came down. And it wasn't an ooey, gooey, sensational type of love. It was actually embodied in an infant, in a baby that was born king of this earth. Jesus is the embodiment of God's love. And he showed it in so many ways. I want to, again, this, if you're joining us on the live stream, there's, some of this is, is going to be relatively in, interaction heavy. And so feel free to interact with each other as we go about this. But I want to hear from you guys because I don't think I'm the only one that knows the ways in which Jesus demonstrated his love. And so I would love to hear, if, the, like, just shout out if there's a story from, from Scripture that stands out to your mind that perhaps this is a moment where Jesus demonstrates his love. What, what are some ways in which we know in Scripture that Jesus demonstrated his love? Throw some out. Jesus and the woman at the well in John 4. Amen. Jesus dying on the cross is, is, is the, the highlight of his love being demonstrated on our behalf. What else? He became man. He, 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 became, he took on flesh. John 1.14, that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. What else? I heard something back there. I didn't see it. What, did I hear Nicodemus? Is that what I heard? Nick at night. Yes, the love of Jesus poured out on this Pharisee who was too scared to come to him during the daytime because he didn't want to be seen. And Jesus graciously meets the man where he's at and loves him so much that he invites him to be born again. He tells him the words in which and the way, which is through believing in Jesus, that we might be born again. Who else? What else? Thief on the cross. He demonstrated Jesus, Jesus demonstrated his love through coming through Mary and Joseph. Yes. The thief on the cross. Healing of the lepers. Does he just declare healing? He touches them. The washing of the disciples' feet. He forgives Peter. Holy smokes. That one's one of my favorites. The scene, the Forrest Gump scene where he jumps off the boat in the full gown and he swims to shore 
And he meets Jesus around a fire in which the glorified Jesus also wants to eat too. And there he sits and he meets with him. He says, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Jesus, I love you. Peter, do you love me? Yes, yes, Jesus, I do. Peter, if you love, do you love me? Then lead and feed my sheep. Anything else? Any other moments? The, the John ate the woman who's caught in adultery. He forgives it. He stands in front. He puts his reputation on the line. He steps forward. Love steps forward. And does he deny her sin? No. But he steps forward anyway. He steps forward. Love steps forward. What else? Anything else? The anointing at Bethany. Yes. Amen. Wherever the gospel is told, your story will be told. I love it. Vinny, did I hear something from you? Jesus calming the storm. Disciples freaking out. Jesus is taking a nap. Good thing to remember. Jesus relaxes. <laughs> the washing of the disciples' feet, giving of the Spirit. Amen. Yes. Yeah, all of these, these demonized folks who the world had rejected, who Jesus comes forward once again and is not appalled by. Which <laughs> Jonah getting swallowed by a whale? Yeah, that is a foreshadowing of Jesus coming and demonstrating his love to an unrepentant people. Amen. Yes. We were just reading in our CBR this last week. In fact, we, we're, we, we talk so much about that parable of leaving the 99 and going after the one. So often we forget this is in context of Jesus talking about his heart and love for children. Yes. Thomas, come and see. Come to me. I love that invitation that we have from Jesus. Come to me, come to me, come to me. Come follow me. Even the calling of all of the disciples, the, the knucklehead, not Jesus the knucklehead, the knuckleheads of the disciples coming together. You've got a zealot. You've got a traitor. You've got people who have kind of been maybe not the highest choice of rabbinical um, pursuit. And Jesus lovingly goes after the outcast. He goes after the one on the fringes. It's beautiful. Anything else? Oh, man, Jesus appearing to Saul on the road to Damascus. Somebody who was actually persecuting the church. Jesus interrupts. Wine at the wedding, a loving move, a generous move. I have come to give you abundance. And he demonstrates that in John 2. Yes, John, so good. Jesus weeping at Lazarus' tomb. We see the compassion. This is where I very much disagree with Ben Shapiro. In some sense, I agree. Facts don't have feelings. But here's the deal. Jesus is love, and he is a fact, and he has feelings. <laughs> 
inviting children to come to him. On the road to Emmaus, yeah. Praise God for that moment, right? From that moment, we have such a greater understanding of who Jesus is and throughout the narrative arc of Scripture. Beautiful. I open this up for us to discuss together. Because talking about Jesus being loving, as followers of, Je- as followers of Jesus, really should be like, it's like second nature. I mean, listen, you guys, you guys all just helped preach a sermon this morning. Which is beautiful. And we need to hear this from one another. Hannah and Matt helped preach a sermon. The Cantys helped preach a sermon this morning as we declare these truths about who Jesus is. God is love. And he's proved it. And you guys have all just testified to it. And yet at the same time, there's many of us who sometimes struggle to actually feel the love of God. I loved the testimony from Hannah because she's like, how am I going to talk about God's love when I'm struggling loving somebody else right now? Which is part of our present reality and struggle. I don't know if you guys have had trouble loving people during this last nine months or not. Uh, If you haven't, you should be up here. But this is one of the interesting pieces about the love of God. And that's that the love of God is never meant to stay with you. Interesting to some degree, just like the love of God almost couldn't be contained within the Trinity. What came forth from the Trinity? Us. Creation. The love of God is otherly and outwardly. It is made to go out of us. It is made to go out of us. And yet sometimes, friends, we struggle to let that love go out. And most of the time, we struggle to let that love out or go through us generally because we lack believing and experiencing the love of God that's within us. Romans 8 tells us this. I love it. We were just talking this last week about Romans 8 and how it's one of those pivotal chapters. There's something about Romans 8 that has a tendency to touch on almost every area of life. It starts with, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And then it moves in the teens to our sonship and daughtership as we've been adopted into the family of God where we now call him Abba. And then by in next right thereafter, it talks about pain and suffering and struggles and that how God works for the good of all those who love him, whom he's called according to his purpose. And then it goes on further and it ends actually quoting part of Isaiah like we read today. But it talks about what can separate us from the love of God. Nor height, nor depth, nor anything in all creation can separate us from the love of God. 
Friends, the truth of the matter, the fact is that there's nothing that can separate you from the love of God. There's the wind. Live stream, you're getting a show. Nor height, nor depth, nor wind. It's okay, Henry, we can leave it. Just a little breeze. So, there's nothing that can separate us from the love of God. But there are things that can hinder us from experiencing the love of God. Have you guys experienced this? I think most of us have. (laughs) Oh, good. It's back. We'll see for how long. Thank you, Eric. Okay. Refocus. We got this. So we have Jesus who has demonstrated that he is love. The two chief places, honestly, I believe the two chief places where the love of God is is most profound is one which I think we miss quite a bit, and that's the incarnation. That's the birth of Jesus. John 3.16 reminds us For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son. For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son. We say this verse, we know this verse. And I think oftentimes we we start to look towards the crucifixion and the sending of Jesus, but I think we miss out on the gravity of what's taking place when Jesus takes upon himself flesh. Where Jesus, who is eternally existent, and as we've read in Colossians 1, or as we read in Colossians 1, who he, he helped, there wasn't a thing that was made that wasn't made through Jesus. He was part of the creation process. That same Jesus humbly took upon flesh like we read about in Philippians. And he became man. And he dwelt among us. We have no idea and no ability, I think, on our own to comprehend what that was like for the Godhead when Jesus became flesh. But he willingly... came to earth in the humble form of a baby and then went through all the awkward stages like we have gone through except without sin and then when the time was right he willingly went to the cross on our behalf and it's there on the cross like Hannah read from Romans 5 8 that he demonstrated his great love, that while we were still train wrecks, while we were still sinners, he died for us. 
I hope this morning you're beginning to be reminded of the love of Jesus. That you're beginning to be perhaps confronted to some extent with the love of Jesus. It's not something we move past. It's something we remember. And it's something that in, impacts the way we live today. When we remember this love, simultaneously during Advent, we don't just remember, we also anticipate. We anticipate and long for the day when love truly covers the face of the planet. It's not very hard for us to look around right now and recognize that things are not as they ought to be. Many of us are tired, weary. So many are sick. There's many, many, many this year who are experiencing Christmas for the first time without a loved one. Things are not as they ought to be. And we anticipate and long for Jesus to come again where the kingdom of God would reign in full or from Isaiah 11:9, where they shall no longer hurt or destroy, where there will be true shalom that covers the face of the earth where hope is fully realized and joy is constant. And these realities are only possible because of the truth, the fact that God is loved and he proved it through Jesus. So we have confidence that just as Jesus beat death he too will be faithful to come back again and right all wrongs where there will no longer be violence, no hurt, no destruction, no COVID, no greed, no power struggles, but love will dominate and influence all. And so we celebrate that right now that love has broken in chiefly through Jesus and that you are loved by Jesus. Whether or not you love him back yet or not, you are loved by him. If Jesus pled and prayed to the Father to forgive those driving nails through his hands, if he was able to forgive them or prayed for forgiveness for them, if he was able to offer forgiveness and salvation to the other thief on the cross, that forgiveness, that salvation, it's available through to you and I through like Jesus says in John 3 with Nick at night, if we believe in him, we might have eternal life. I love Zephaniah 3.17. It says, the Lord your God is in your midst. A mighty one who will save, he will rejoice over you with gladness or joy. He will quiet you by his love, and he will exult over you with loud singing. This is who our God is. He is love. And now we, get to love not because we first loved him but because he first loved us second corinthians 5:14 tells us that the love of christ controls or compels us Paul's speaking, he says, we've been so captivated by the love of Jesus that it truly controls how we live. 
Perhaps some of you today, the love of Jesus feels distant. Perhaps for some of you today, you have no idea what your life would look like if the love of Jesus actually controlled your life. It would be a good journal and dream process. What would your life actually look like if the love of Jesus controlled every aspect of your life? The way you worked, the way you parented, the way you were in relationship with your roommates, the way you studied, the way you engaged with this earth, the way you engaged with your neighbor. What if the love of God truly controlled and compelled everything we have done? And like I said, for some, maybe the love of Jesus feels distant today. I made a joke about how I, I, I don't agree with Ben Shapiro regarding facts and feelings necessarily, but there's also some truth to it because one of the, the things that we buy into sometime in our Western culture is that love is just a feeling, and it's not. There are times when we need to command our soul to sing. There are times where we need to command our mind to remember. There are times when we need to take a deep breath and say, despite what I feel in this exact moment, Jesus Christ is the son of the living God. He has proved that he is love, and I can trust that in the moment while I'm having this fight, in the moment where the money's not coming in, in the moment where I just want to scream and potentially throw something, that God is love and he has proved his love towards me and I can still choose to let the love of Christ compel and control me. But we can only do that because of what Jesus has accomplished. We can only do that because Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. We can only do that because Jesus, as a good king, didn't leave us alone as orphans, but he gave us his Holy Spirit, our helper. Love is a choice, and it's for the benefit of someone else. It's not dependent upon their response. Jesus loves you. Do you receive his love? And do you respond to it? In John 13, 35, we're reminded Jesus says, By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another, if you have love for one another. Love, you see, isn't just the marker of Jesus. It's the marker of Jesus' followers. It's the marker of disciples. It's the marker of Christians. And I'm so thankful that I get to stand up here and celebrate with you that I've even gotten to see the love of Jesus poured out just this week. I've seen people lovingly and generously providing for one another in beautiful waves. I've seen our church and our community groups give money with no strings attached to small local businesses just wanting to bless them in the name of Jesus. We've seen families taken cared for We've seen many, 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 many meals because there's been a number of beautiful children that have been born. 
given all throughout this COVID season. I'm so thankful that I'm not standing up here saying, doggone it, church, you need to love better. That's not what I'm saying. I'm thankful that we've tasted and seen that the Lord is good. I'm thankful that we've tasted the love of Jesus, but I know we need to taste it again. And we need to continue tasting it. I want us to be reminded of what Paul says about love in 1 Corinthians 13. Again, to help us frame what this love looks like. Again, Jesus embodied it, and Paul helps us explain and understand and listen to what love is. Love is patient and kind, does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable. Whew. Irritability is at an all-time high. I'm just going to be honest. But love is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love is patient. I'm going to read it again. Love is kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And who, who is love again? God is love. So God, Jesus, is patient and kind. It's not arrogant or rude. It's not who he is. You see, the invitation to grow in being loving is not some floofy deal. It's an invitation to be conformed into the image and likeness of Jesus. So, as we begin to wind down, like I said before, I don't know what your current experience is of the love of God on, on the emotive side. We've all declared together the truths of God's love, which is beautiful. God does want to marry those truths with feelings. He he is not a distant God. He is a personal God. He's given the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. The love of God is not made to be an ethereal idea. This is why you see tasted and seen language. We are to taste the love of God as well. And I want to share with you a couple experiences that have hindered me in experiencing the love of God. I want to be really clear here. We already declared from Romans 8, there's nothing that separates you from the love of God. If you are in Christ Jesus our Lord, there's nothing that separates you from the love of God. However, there are things in which we can do in our life that do hinder our experiencing the love of God, and that's called sin, friends. Sin hinders us engaging with the love of God, and I'll try and be more specific with that. The things in particular in my life that, that hinder me from experiencing the love of God, some of them are really, really, really simple. Number one, the number one hindrance in me, outside the, like the caveat for number one is like sin 
hinders, yes. But on a practical side, the number one thing that hinders my experience of the love of God is not spending time with him. Not being in the presence of God. Chiefly through prayer and engaging with God in his word on a daily basis. Eric gave the challenge, ponder what your rhythms are to look like in 2021. Not spending time with God and being in his presence, you will not experience the love of God the way in which you can. I don't think this is new news to us, but this is one of the reasons why long-distance relationships don't work real well. When you only get to see each other three times a year, guess what? It's really, really, really hard. But friends, you have been given the Holy Spirit helper. You are not left as an orphan. He dwells within you. He is waiting and ready and engaged to engage with you. Do we desire to engage with him? He is looking for humble followers like we learn in John 4 who will worship him in spirit and in truth, who will come to him and say, Lord, I don't know what you have for me today, but I do know one thing. You are good and you are loving and I want to be around that. And if you're anything like me, we can let the hours, minutes, moments of the day fly, fly away without taking intentional time. And so I plead with you, challenge you, exhort you as you look at 2021, create rhythms in your schedule to engage with God. If you want to experience the love of God, that one that we testified about, be near to him. Spend time with him, and he is not far off. He is near. So, so spending time with God, being in his presence, so that's chiefly in his word and in prayer, and the other is engaging with the saints in corporate worship of Jesus together. If we neglect, this is Hebrews tells us not to ne- neglect the gathering, we are called to gather together and worship Jesus together. I don't know exactly how and why it works this way, but when we gather together as sons and daughters of the king and proclaim him together, you guys, the love of Jesus permeates throughout the body. We encourage one another and we're able to experience the love of God. So if those things aren't part of your life, experiencing the love of God will be challenging. Not impossible, it's just challenging. The second one, which comes back to the overarching area of lack of, of in, uh, enjoyment and experience of God's love, and that's the lack of awareness of sin in my own life or lack of confession and repentance over specific areas of sin. Many of us do not declare and proclaim or sometimes experience the love of God to the degree in which we can because there is unconfessed sin that exists in our lives. We don't recognize our own desperate need I love it when Jesus is approaching certain people in in his life and ministry, and sometimes they're just crying out, Lord Jesus, have mercy on me. 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 When was the last time you or I fell before the feet of Jesus and said, Lord Jesus, have mercy on me? Lord Jesus, have mercy on me. I love that song, Our Sin Was Great, Your Love Was Greater. This is true. And I guarantee one of the areas that hinders our experiencing of God's love is our unwillingness to look at our own sin in our lives. 
And friends, it might sound scary, but the love of God is so much greater. Not only that, it is commanded that we confess and repent, that we might find healing. So those are some of my practicals for you in the areas of experiencing the love of God. And as you experience that love, I guarantee you that love will begin to spill out around. And so as we face this and go forward towards Christmas Eve and to our Christmas um, evening service and our Christmas morning gatherings and just this upcoming year, may the Lord remind you not just of the declarative truths of his love, but may he in the core of your being, would he remind you that he knows you that he loves you, that he is with you, and he will not forsake you. Worship team, come on up. We're going to close with a prayer from Paul. For this reason, you guys can pray with me as we go read this passage. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power at work within us to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever amen